I'm going to put something up here. Some of you have seen these. Some of you haven't. So some of you, you may have mixed feelings about this. But I want to show you, when I first visited this church during an interview, some things that I saw hanging on the walls. Some of you remember these and go, why did they ever come down? Actually, I don't know. Maybe you can see it. I'll leave one up here in a minute. So here what you have is a picture of where we're meeting right now, the offices and the classrooms, and then this building to come on the grass. Some of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, yes, they were in the back. They were on the wall. We, we remember seeing these. And so there's one picture. If For those you can't see, uh, you, you can look at them after if you want. Uh, another picture is uh, zoomed in from the street out there, and it's the sanctuary to come with a big steeple and a cross, and uh, it looks pretty nice from these drawings. Great picture. And then there's even a picture of possibly what the inside would look like with some wonderful architecture, some great, beautiful woodwork. For those of you who love pews, there's no pews, so there's chairs that make people happy or whatever it may be, and there's uh, lots of windows and light and these things, and I remember seeing these. And the very first Sunday I was here for an interview uh, and I preached that Sunday, I saw people looking at the back walls. And I was uh, shown this also that weekend. And uh, uh, it's like, hey, this is what we are going to do in the future, Lord willing, um, out here on the grass area. And so for those of you who love our meetings during the summer, you're like, oh, you're going to get rid of the grass out there? We can't play out there or run around. We're going to have a building out there. And so not only that uh, building as those plans the future, but I was thinking of a great uh, new program we could do this week. What I was going to present to the elders is ask them the budget to pay you every week to bring people to church. I was like, hey, give everyone 25 bucks a week. Build this place, fill this room. Then we have to build this building. We have to go to multiple types of services. Now, some of you who are visiting, I'm sorry, I'm being a little sarcastic. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm pushing the envelope a little bit here. Um, we need to understand this. Buildings and programs are not bad in and of themselves. But when they are brought to the forefront over what we are given for the church to be, they become dangerous and distractions. And so we must look to uh, our question this morning is, what is the church? What is the church? And this month we've been looking at our mission statement, which simply is the great commandment to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the great commission uh, uh, to go and make disciples. So loving God and loving others. And some of you know that our um, mission statement is to know Christ and to make him known. So the question is, what is the church? The New Testament calls, gives titles of the church, and here are some of them the body of Christ, the Israel of God, the saints, the elect, the bride of Christ, the temple of the living God. This morning as we read from Acts chapter 2, the scriptural truth is this, the church belongs to Jesus who builds his church for his glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 41 through 47. This follows the first preaching of the gospel. This is the beginning of the church. This is after Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again and he ascended to heaven. And this is what happens after this. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three 
thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. The word of God given for us to read and have understanding and apply in our life. There are four descriptions that are given that we'll look at this morning of the church. Number one, that we see that this body of Christ, these people, the church, are a devoted church. We see that they are a unified church. They're a generous church. And finally, they are a growing church. And so the first one is a devoted church. Peter, the apostle, has just stood up before these 3,000 or more people. He's declared to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says that they received the word. When it speaks of the word here, it's speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he preached the gospel. 3,000 people at that moment said, what should we do to be saved? They were struck in their hearts. He says, repent of your sins and be baptized. This picture of believe in Jesus Christ Romans chapter 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he was raised from death to life and you will be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells the church, you were saved by the truth that believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried and on the third day rose again according to scriptures. Church, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you are one who by faith Believe that, and you are saved by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the finished work of Christ on the cross. 3,000 people. Some of you have either visited or been a part of churches with thousands of people. One of the churches I served in had over 2,000 people in it. Five weekend services. I didn't know all the people that were there. We'd have two Saturday night and three on Saturday morning. Uh, occasionally we'd run into people and they would ask us, it was our first time there, and I'm like, well, I'm actually on staff. So many people. And it's a wonderful thing. People coming to faith. And here you have instantly a mega church, 3,000 people who say, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit convicted their hearts and they were saved. And so it's a glorious thing that you should celebrate and rejoice at the beginning of the church And verse 42 says that they were devoted, Um, they were committed to some things. The word devoted there in the original language in the Greek is this word proskatero, which means to continuously, so there's this continuous action to be steadfastly attentive to or continuously devoted to for things that they did. This was what they put into the life of the church. Again, buildings And programs can be used for the glory of God. But you don't see a building and you don't see a program in the four things they committed themselves to. The first one is the apostles' teaching. And you might say, well, what is that term, the apostles' teaching? I thought we read the Bible. I thought they read the Bible. 
Well, the Bible contains the apostles' teaching, which is what they wrote down by the Holy Spirit directing them to so that there is no contradictions in the Bible. It is the authoritative word of God, and therefore they wrote what we read today, just like what we have in our study in the prophets in the past few months. The prophets wrote down what God told them to write. The law that is written in the first few books of the Bible, Moses wrote down what he was told by God to write down Therefore, we have contained in the Bible the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, and we believe every bit of it. The apostles' teaching they were devoted to. And the teaching of God's Word must always, always, always come first in the church. The preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ must always come first so that as the Holy Spirit gives us understanding, we then apply it and live it out and the church lives and acts in the way that God directs us instead of us going, let's put a good plan together for the church. If we had this and this building, this program, and we only had that, and then let's also teach the Word with it. Church, the danger. Do you know that people do that today? There are churches who start with a plan, a program, a building, which is exciting, and the Word of God is added later. And then we wonder why churches go sideways and why we have false teachers and heresy that's spread among the body of Christ, being all the Christians in the world. They were devoted to what Jesus taught them. You see, the apostles, the other name, the disciples. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you had the 12 disciples. Well, when uh, Jesus was betrayed, you have Judas, who hung himself. And in Acts chapter 1, they replaced him with Matthias after they prayed and asked the Lord to reveal who that was. It had to have been someone who had been with them and had also heard the teachings of Christ. And so you have these 12 apostles who from the day of Pentecost on are teaching what Jesus taught them in how to live. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the famous great commission passage in verses 18 through 20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, Teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus says, as you go out and declare the gospel to other people, teach them what I taught you. That's how you disciple people. As they come to faith in Jesus Christ, you teach them what I taught you. And that's what we have contained in the New Testament. As the apostles write to the churches, they are writing what Jesus taught them, again, led by the Holy Spirit. That is why, for the believer, The Word of God is the authoritative Word of God for all of life. Peter says we have everything we have for life and godliness in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so, if I can tell you this, be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Or I'll say this, be devoted to the Word of God. Not just on Sundays when we gather, but individually in your homes during the week. They were committed, they were devoted to this And Jesus told the disciples, because I mean, think for a minute, if you were with Jesus for three years, you heard him teach all kinds of places. The gospel accounts say we don't have everything contained, written down of every single event that Jesus did. Imagine three years of your life, you're supposed to then write down and remember what Jesus told you. Any of you ever forget? I'd be like, well, wait, what what was that line that Jesus said? That's why 
we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the, the disciples this in John 14. John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He said the Holy Spirit will come and will remind you of everything that I taught you so that you will teach people and make disciples. Wonderful. The power of God working in his people. God promises and he always fulfills. And that's what you see in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost and the chapters that follow. If you want to see the pictures of the life of the church, read the book of Acts and see the accounts that Luke, a doctor, continues to describe how God worked among the people. The gospel went to the ends of the world and people were saved by the work of Jesus Christ. In verse 46, it says that they met daily. They gathered in the temple for teaching, for prayer. But what you see in the book of Acts is a hunger for the Word of God. Some of you, when we get done with this service, are hungry. You're like, thankful for the cookie or the donut. But I am ready for lunch. Give me the steak. Give me the meat, the salad, whatever it is. I mean, think about a moment when you are actually ravenous. You're hungry. That's the picture of the body of Christ for the Word of God. That as the Word of God is taught, as it's spread among the body of Christ, there's a hunger and a desire, and that's a healthy mark of the church who's committed and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 5, you see that they did the teaching in a few places. One was in the temple, on the eastern side of the temple, a place called Solomon's Portico. They would gather there, and the apostles would teach what Jesus taught them there. Also, it says in chapter 5, I believe, of Acts, they also gathered in homes, that in homes there was teaching of the Word of God. And so isn't this glorious, the large gathering of people? I mean, they met, if you read the book of Acts, there's different times described when they went to the temple for this time. They went at 3 o'clock for this prayer time to went to this. And the apostles would teach. I mean, imagine again, 3,000 people. Maybe they couldn't all show up for the morning gathering because they had to be out farming. So they came to the afternoon or the evening. But the people were committed and devoted to the apostles' teaching and they had a hunger for the truth, which is the word of God. And there are temptations today, just like then, to skirt away from the truth. Acts chapter 6, among the three, well, at that point in Acts chapter 5, I believe it's over 8,000 people. A church of over 8,000 people in Jerusalem, and in Acts chapter 6, they say, hey, apostles, there's a group of widows that aren't getting the daily distribution of food. There was a temptation right there for the apostles to go, all right, guys, we have a plan. Let's write it down. All right, Thomas, you're going to go over here and pick up the fruit. And you know what, Tom, you're going to go over here. And James, you know, all these people, it's like, hey, you make sure you go get the eggs. And we're going to go out and do that. The apostles said no. They say in Acts chapter 6, they said, it says uh, in um, Acts chapter 6, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God. But they would commit themselves to the word of God in prayer. And they said, okay, here's the plan. Here's the qualifications. You pick seven men that fulfill those qualifications. Pointing to what we have as deacons today. And those guys will go out and make sure this group of widows is fed. Isn't the work of God wonderful? When we hold to the word of God and hold the truth of God as the authority for all of life, all the rest gets worked out. 
And so even buildings and programs and ideas of how the church should function get worked out, but they don't go before the Word of God. And at the same time, I am not saying that Discovery Alliance Church said, we're going to build a building and then add Jesus. No, I'm just trying to point you to this. If you're hoping for this and it never happens, then your hope is in the wrong place. If God wants us to have some building somewhere else, great. But do you know that there are people in other countries today that are hiding in tall grass because there are people that want to murder them because they're Christians? They don't have a building. They don't need a building. An American idea of Christianity is we have a big building, lots of lights, a great show, and then people will come. Take that, throw it to the side, and hold up Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, and his word, and that is what shapes the church. And so pray that we would be a devoted church to the apostles' teaching. The second thing they devoted themselves to was to the fellowship. A word in the Greek called koinonia. And this word of fellowship means uh, close association uh, and participation centered around common interests. Spending time together, sharing resources. And so some of you would say, oh, I could, I could do that over at, uh, you know, the place where I work out at. I could go do that with this group over here in town. We have some common interests. We all gather because of this. This is a different description here. The people, the common interest was Jesus Christ. The common interest was being saved by the blood of Christ and looking to the hope that one day and for all eternity being with the Lord God Almighty. Their common interest was Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44. It says that they had all things in what? All things in common. Meaning they were devoted to one another. They had a responsibility to one another as the body of Christ. And, and, and today, we'd probably say, well, yeah, I have some unity among the body of Christ, but I don't have a responsibility. And I would argue and say, yes, as part of the body of Christ, you have responsibilities towards the body of Christ for a whole other day into getting into how you're to serve the body of Christ and do good works for the body of Christ as Ephesians 2.10 says that we're created for. Using the gifts that God has given you to serve among the body of Christ, you do have a responsibility if you're a part of the body of Christ. If you're not a Christian, you have no responsibility to the, uh, to the body of Christ and there's no expectation for you to give anything and our prayer is that you would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Turn to Hebrews 10. Don't just rely on the, the scripture up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10. After the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 is uh, pointing out this um, uh, aspect about assurance uh, of faith, um, he writes this in Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Leave that scripture up there, please. They were devoted to one another. They had all things in common, Jesus Christ. And Hebrews encourages the church uh, to love one another and do good works. That's some of your responsibility. As we saw last week, loving God and loving others. But do you see what I underlined there? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And people begin to cringe when they see this like, oh man, I only made 20 Sundays last year. 
People begin to, you know, think, so let's just dispel this for a second here. Let's, let's see, what, is, what are we being encouraged the church? Since 2020 and COVID, what has happened in the United States of America, and maybe even Christianity worldwide, is it's made it easier than ever for you not to be devoted to the fellowship of the church. What do we mean by that? Before COVID, we didn't have online services. I honestly don't like streaming online. It's just weird to me. And at the same time, I've learned that God has provided that technology so that those who are sick, those who have had surgeries, those people who are recovering, those who literally can't get out of bed, they can hear the preaching of the Word of God. They can sing with the body of Christ at a distance, and they can be, in a sense, part of the fellowship. The problem is, is it's made it so easy that many of us just want to stay home every week. Oh, I just want to get my coffee and my cereal. and I just want, I just want to sit in my slippers and, and, and my pajamas and sit in front of the TV. Just click it on. Hey, there's Pastor Paul. There's the worst. You know, it's like it makes it easy for us. You know, we'll just do children's ministry at home. Go get a board game. You know, it's like uh, go, you know, go play that over there. And again, there are times that we can benefit from that. But the problem that's happening in the churches around the globe is you see less and less of people who at one time were committed to one another in the body of Christ. Some of you know those people and you haven't seen them. You'll say, I haven't seen this person forever. Call them. Tell them, brother, sister, come to church. And you're like, I couldn't say that. They'll be offended. So what? I'm serious. Love them as Christ loves you. Tell them they need the fellowship of the body of Christ. They need to gather for corporate worship, the preaching of the word of God. They need to gather in homes. And if they still refuse, say, okay, hey, I'm bringing a group of people to your house for Bible study this week. Because it says they gather in their homes, not just to gather, but they ate meals together. They fellowshiped in homes together. And so some of you know people who have been upon your heart and you're so afraid to tell them anything, I give you permission and you can blame it on me. You can tell them, Pastor Paul told me to call you and come to your house and say, brother, sister, you need to come back to fellowship because it's something we should be devoted to. And you do it in love. You don't go and hit them with a Bible and say, hey, come back. It's like, no, I, I, you need to benefit from the body of Christ and you as a believer need to also uh, you have a responsibility to serve the body of Christ. The third thing they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. We spent some time on this, especially on January 1st. Go back and listen to the sermon on January 1st about the Lord's Supper. Because uh, you can read in 1 Corinthians 11, as we, I believe we read this uh, month when we took the Lord's Supper communion together, that they did this in a meal. They didn't go and, and have the little cups and all the stuff, and I'm not saying that's bad, but they had a meal. They sat down, and they broke bread, and they took a cup of wine, and they said, hey, we're doing what Jesus commanded us to do. It's not optional, but it's to take the bread and remember Jesus Christ crucified and to drink the, the cup and remember Jesus' blood shed for us that our sins would be forgiven, that's to be done until the day that Christ returns. And so they were devoted to that, and that happened in their homes. And I would encourage you, maybe you need to be doing that in your homes. When you gather with the Bible study, take together. We've had people ask, should we do this every single Sunday? And something that the elders and I need to discuss and pray over. 
The fourth thing they were devoted to was the prayers. There was prayer that was evident among the body of Christ. And I wonder, is prayer evident among us? In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, there was 120 believers, 120 followers of Christ. They saw Jesus ascend to heaven, and they were obedient. They went back into the city, and they began to pray until the day of Pentecost, just as Jesus said Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And I love that passage because Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, at times we have scripture that says they didn't believe in Jesus as Lord. And yet Jesus is uh, their Lord and Savior, and they're counted with the other disciples, with the believers, and they are praying together that God's kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you read Acts chapter 4 this week, you see persecution happen to the believers. They come back and they gather. They pray together. The Holy Spirit does a wonderful work, shakes the building, and it says the believers, by the power of the Holy Spirit, were filled with boldness to go tell more people. After they were just threatened with their lives, after people wanted to kill them, and they're fearful, they pray and seek the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives them the boldness that they would go and tell the rest of the world. And you know what? Many, many, many of them went to their death. They were slaughtered, and they were killed because they would tell people about Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, and call people to believe. Do you know you're supposed to do that today too? Not the going to your death part. If that's what the Lord allows and this world comes after you, then so be it. But you're supposed to go out with the same boldness. You're like, I don't have boldness. I don't want to say, I don't know what I tell the person at the coffee shop or work. Okay, then you gather and you pray just like the, the people did. And the Holy Spirit filled them. The Holy Spirit sent them out with boldness. People heard the gospel, and people were added to the church. And God did all the work, and he gets all the glory. And so they were committed to those four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. The next couple of points will go quickly because you're like, oh, we're not even on the second point yet. Are we the people of God, devoted to those same things here? Are those four things, are we devoted to those above anything and everything else that we could come up with on a checklist that the church should do? Are we committed to those things? And if so, the Lord blesses the body of Christ as they're committed to being a healthy church according to the word of God and what happens with that is the second point is you see a unified church. Look at verse 43. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. When was the last time that you stood in awe of something? What was it? In my mind, I can still picture us camping in East Glacier a few years ago, driving at like... I don't know, in the evening before sunset and we're going up the, up the mountain and the sunset shining over the mountains were just glorious. And this clouds that were coming over and you see this and you stop and you get out and you stand in awe of God's creation. The first time I saw the Mission Mountains and there was no clouds in the sky, we come up over the hill and it's like music playing. 
It's like there's snow capped over these things and there's waterfalls. And we got off at the rest stop and I stood up on this rock and I was taking pictures and you're just like, Lord, you're awesome. Last fall, we were in Gallatin Gateway and it was one of the most awesome thunderstorms I had ever seen that started far away and the cloud structures were amazing and the thunder was so loud where you like run inside because you're afraid you're going to die. This awe of God's creation, and that's the picture of what described the people of God. Awe came over them because the many signs and wonders were being done that God was doing. Not that the apostles said, okay, all right, guys, let's work on that right now. Let's, let's, let's work really hard to think hard to heal that guy. Let's do that. No, the Lord did a work. They were just obedient to go, and the Lord did all of these wonderful things. The word awe there in the original language means this reverent fear or dread or terror, but with this reverence. I mean, that's that picture of worshiping a holy God, that there is some fear or terror or dread because he's holy and we are not, but there's this reverence with it, and that is a, a picture of what was happening among the body of, church, uh, body of Christ. You see, awe is an emotion. Now, emotions are real. At the same time, you have to guard against emotions because emotions can mislead you. There are some local gatherings of churches that believe there can't be any emotions at all. You come in, walk in like a robot, sit down, open your Bible, sing only that hymn, pray, everyone go out. There can't be any emotion. There are others where emotion is what they get started before the service even begins, and they try to run a show on emotion. If you remember last week when Jesus was teaching, as we saw um, this commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and Jesus said with all your what? Mind. And with all your strength. The mind part is important. Because emotions can cloud the mind. And one of the two enemies I point out here this morning about the unity in the church is emotionalism. Emotionalism is an enemy of Christ's church because emotionalism can cloud your mind and you believe something that is not real. And so what some, again, I'll say churches or maybe they're so-called churches, is if we can get people stirred up emotionally then we're being the church. And then what you have is results of crazy stuff where people have laughter in the spirit, where they're laughing so uncontrollably that they're falling on the ground, something that you don't even find in Scripture. You have emotionalism that attacks in so many different ways where the Word of God is put to the side. Emotionalism is an enemy of the church. We are told to worship the Lord our God with our mind, and at the same time, we have emotions but we must protect from emotions controlling our minds. The Apostle Paul taught the church at Corinth about the spiritual gifts that they have. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's like, you are to use your gifts. There is emotion when we gather in the name of God. There's awe that happens. But if you are doing these things not orderly, then you are out of line and you are not being the church. You are doing something else that your emotions are controlling instead of your mind. So we must guard from that. 
second enemy of the church, unity, is individualism. Is me, myself, and I. I don't really need anyone in the church. I come to a church, but I really don't need the church. That's, what, that's an attack on the fellowship of the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we need Jesus and we need one another. This aspect of individualism that has so affected the body of Christ is that things need to be done my way because I have these certain needs and I want it done because that's what pleases me. So cater to me first. And at the same time, um, not only does that destroy the unity of the church from individuals, you have churches who think, we're going to do this, this, and this, and then the people will come and we'll be, get them excited about the church and then we'll add things about Christ and afterwards. And so you have this show that's going on and so you have people who are coming to get something because they want. So that's why so many songs in the Christian radio today and so many songs in churches that are sung as so-called worship songs are about me. Oh, Lord loves me and loves me and loves me. We sing it over a hundred times. There's nothing wrong with the truth that the Lord loves his people. But when we begin to cater everything in the church about us, we are not following Jesus Christ. We are following the pridefulness of our hearts. Churches must guard against trying to make things appealing so that people would come in the doors, share the gospel with them, and know that the word of God we're told is offensive. And as the Holy Spirit works in the heart and the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and they see the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb, then they believe in Jesus Christ, the gift of faith that's given to them. Glory to God. And, and God adds to the church. It's not man adding to the church. Because I'll be honest, the temptation as a pastor is to fill the seats in the church. And therefore, there are temptations of, whoa, look at that church, what they're doing. Look at that program. Look at that thing. Wait, well, we should do that? They got all these people from their neighborhood in. And then what happens is leaders begin to get distracted by those things instead of Jesus Christ crucified, risen again for the glory of God. So again, Buildings and programs aren't bad, but when they become the thing, then it's superseding Jesus Christ. It says in verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So in Acts chapter 2, you have 3,000 people. In Acts chapter 4, you have another 5,000. So Acts chapter 4, now you have a church of 8,000. 8,000 people in Jerusalem. You get to Acts chapter 5, and it's possibly when it talks about multitudes, anywhere between 10 and 20,000 Christians in the city. Imagine trying to minister to 10,000, 20,000. And we know that there are mega churches that have 10 or 20,000 people in this world. The temptation is to gather everyone for a huge event and then go home for the week. No, the church is living life together under Christ day in and day out. And therefore, they had all things in common, which is Jesus. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but had everything in common. They were a unified church. Jesus Christ was the most important thing in all that they said and all they did for the glory of God. And because of that, you see verse 45, they were a generous church. 
They were a generous church. I always pray that we are a generous church. And automatically people think dollar signs and putting something in a box, writing a check, and giving a tithe or offering to the church. Would you take that out of your mind? That's, I mean, there's pressure on pastors like, hey, you need to preach a giving message. The offering's low. That's man-made so-called church. If we are truly following the Lord and we're in awe of the work of God, he's going to make us a unified church in Christ and we're just going to be generous people to meet whatever needs. I was so blessed this week. I went to the hospital and saw a sister in Christ and prayed with their family and prayed for her, Kay Yost. And Kay passed away just a couple days ago. And while we were there in the hospital, her daughter said, "Um, I'm not going to tell you what to preach, but would you please tell the church um, thank you for in a sense being a generous church she described how the body of Christ here have served her mom and her dad before through health problems and sitting with them and giving them rides and taking care of them I'm like that's generosity with your time I thought about recently how we, we, we um, every month, and I was going to encourage you today to pray about giving to this, and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to tell you that, but we have uh, an account where some of you give to benevolence. Well, if there's a need in the church and someone needs financially help, we give among the body of Christ so that people can have help. We got a wonderful card. We helped uh, someone, and they said, well, hey, we were able to buy firewood wood to stay warm this winter. I was like, what a wonderful thing. And then I said, what a horrible thing. Why aren't we showing up and chopping wood and bringing it to their house? Why do we have to give the finances so they had to get it? And I, again, I, some of you are like, yeah, he's fired up today. Well, <laughs> remind me to take a deep breath. Um, I think it's because um, there's so many local gatherings where there is such... Um, lack of health. And the shepherds, the elders of the church, the pastors of the church are to shepherd the flock entrusted to them and one day stand before Jesus and give an account of how we did that. And for me to think of believers in our church who are struggling to heat their home, waiting that we would just surprise them with finances so they could do that really bothers my heart. Um, to know that as I look out here, some of you have needs and you don't dare want to tell any of us. Maybe it's pridefulness. Maybe it's embarrassment. But do we have such a unity that you actually want another know the needs? I'm always thankful when someone in the body of Christ comes and tells the elder team, hey, we have a need for this person over here. I'm able to help with this, but hey, can we help? Because sometimes, I, I don't know what's happening in all your homes. There's a whole bunch of people that aren't here this morning a whole bunch of people that call this place home. And so to be a generous church, there has to be the unity so that we know what's happening. I mean, if you look at this, again, 3,000 people, go back to the text here, 3,000 people, and the people were selling things that they had. It doesn't say they sold everything, so don't go off the deep end following some heretic that says, sell every single thing you have and give it to the church. Run from those places. Stop listening to those people. Throw their books in the fire because that's not biblical. But what the people did do is out of the generosity of their heart, they saw a need. It's like, man, I got that thing. 
man, that's been, I'm going to sell that. I, that's worth this much. And here and give to those people. Or they may not be the finance, like actual handing them money. Hey, I went and bought this. I know you need this. Take this. Here, you need a coat. I've got five of them. Whatever it is, that was the picture of the body of Christ in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus taught the disciples this. And this is why the church is doing it, because they're being taught by the disciples of God's word. Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are things that I've looked at, possessions that I have, and I have battled honestly going, I should sell that. That would be worth some money. And then I can buy some more stuff. And then it's like, oh, wait, I should sell that and give that to help someone else. And then it goes out of my mind and walk away. Just trying to be real here. But this was the picture of what was happening and it's grounded in Christ. I want you to read Philippians 2 this week because Paul says, don't do anything out of selfishness. Be humble. It says, be interested in others before yourself. And yet, ourself, almost all the time, comes first, then others. That's a hard thing, but that's what Jesus taught the disciples, what the disciples are teaching Jesus' word. Look at verse 6 of Acts 2. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Again, devoted to what we read in those first few verses. They met together daily. They read the word together daily. The, the apostles taught daily. They ate meals in home. They provided for one another. They prayed together. There was joy, glad, generous hearts I mean, isn't that the type of church you want to be a part of? Yes? No? I was like, yeah, I was, I was expecting, like, yes, I want to. Well, I pray that the local gathering here at Discovery, that that's a description of us. And if not, the Holy Spirit would reveal to you today where are we weak at so we would grow in that. Because verse 47 says a lot. The last verse, look at this. Praising God... And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The fourth point is that they were a growing church. Some people don't like the word growth with church because there's so much business that's been put in it today. Follow this business program. I'm telling you, I've thrown away a bunch of books that I read and committed to going, wow, this church growth program, using these business things, that's not bad, but I, if I use this, 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 we're going to grow the church. And what it is, is a man's plan without the Holy Spirit or God doing the work to build his church. It's just a good plan. And then you wonder, why does this not happen? Or why is the church filled with people who don't even want anything to do with Jesus? They just want the 25 bucks that I'm paying them to come to church. And on and on. Here you see verse 7, God's sovereignty over all of this. God's in complete control. When you think of this and you read this verse, God added to the people that he saved, period. God did it. From 120 in the upper room to the day of Pentecost of 3,000 to chapter 5, 8,000 to chapter 8, whatever, multitudes and multitudes to today millions of christians around the world who have heard the gospel of jesus christ and god did it all 
and his people were obedient to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to speak the truth of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit saves people. And the Holy Spirit does the work and points us to Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, do you see what it says there? I will build what church? What's it say? On this rock, I will build what? My church. Whose church is this? Jesus' God's. This is not Discovery Alliance Church. This is not Pastor Paul's Church or the Elders' Church. This is not the Christian and Missionary Alliance's church. This is Jesus' church, the people. He's the one who saves. He's the one who builds. He's the one who protects. He's the one who promises to bring you home to be with him for eternity. And therefore, we give him all the glory. And we don't steal any of it from him. And again, there's sometimes this aspect, I don't want to be a part of a, bar, a big church. Big churches are bad. Well, no, there's 3,000 and then 8,000 and then 10,000 all in one city there. Um, no, it's not bad. Um, can you know everyone in a really large church? It's very difficult to know a few people. I don't think that everyone in these thousands in Jerusalem all knew each other. But they let, met in large gatherings and they met in homes. It doesn't matter if you're, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert in this room. You should be praying that God would add to the number of his church every day those being saved. And at the same time, Jesus did not want you only focused inside here. He did not command the disciples, go and do not make disciples and do not baptize them and do not teach them to obey and go into hiding and never come out. Jesus didn't say that. You are commanded to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as yourself. The great commission to go and make disciples. So please don't rely on me and the elders or the teachers and the ministries of this church to save people. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus saves. He uses you to go tell people the gospel. And if they, find, if they hear the gospel here on a Sunday or another time, then praise the Lord as well. The last verse is this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus said this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to to your Father who is in heaven. Again, there may be dreams and aspirations and exciting things that people want to be excited about. Things like buildings, things like programs, things that churches do. And I'm telling you this, if God moves those things, wonderful. But set them to the side and point people to the cross so that they would be saved and Jesus would be their treasure and they would be committed to him and be with him for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in this moment that you would help us to be the church that you have created us to be, that you would do the work to save people from their sins. Father, we uh, confess before you this morning if there are any ways that we have not been committed 
to your word. Please forgive us. If there are any ways that we have not been committed to the fellowship of the body of Christ, please forgive us. If we have not been committed to the breaking of bread and to prayers, please forgive us. Jesus, would you continue to teach us daily from your word? Would you continue to work here that we would be in awe of what you're doing? Would you do what only you can do that none of us can manufacture? And Father, I pray that we would be a people who give you glory for all of it. Father, for any in this room who have heard the gospel today and are far from Jesus, I pray that today is the day of salvation, that they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord, they would believe in their heart that you were raised from death to life and they would be saved. That they would confess their sins to you. They would know that your blood has been shed to save them. Father, you receive all the glory and all the praise, even as we sing now in Jesus' name. Amen.